0: It's good to be uh, with you here on the Lord's Day. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Andrew and Cornerstone for inviting me here. Um, it feels like it was just yesterday that I was here uh, congratulating Pastor Andrew um, as the senior pastor here at Cornerstone. Um, but already a year has passed, a year of God's faithfulness, and clearly God is working here evident in the newest members and uh, evident in the faithful preaching of God's Word, which I have the the honor of hearing on a weekly basis. Thank you for posting it like 3 p.m. every Sunday. It's, it's the thing I look most forward to every Sunday afternoon. Um, but with that, let's turn to God's Word. God's Word for us comes from Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Hear now God's holy word. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, if we knew who was speaking to us in this hour, what kind of posture would we take? If we knew that we were meeting the creator and savior of the world, how would we have prepared our hearts this past week? God, remind us that this hour is not just an information session, but you, oh God, you're speaking to your people. And so give us ears to hear. Give us hearts. That hunger for Christ. That upon hearing him, we would want to follow him. Be more obedient. And so Lord, speak to us now. But much more, may we find Christ more beautiful. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Randy, a Christian man made his living as a painter. One day, the church asked Randy to restore one of its biggest buildings on their property. Randy said, okay, I'll do it. And so he bought paint. But trying to cut back on cost, trying to make a little bit more profit for himself, he thinned the paint with water. Randy was painting away. The job nearly completed when suddenly there was a clap of thunder. The sky opened and the rain poured down. It washed the thin paint Off the church. Randy fell to his face and concluded that this was a judgment from God Almighty. And so Randy raised his voice to the heavens, cried out, Oh God, forgive me. What should I do? To which God replied, Repaint, repaint, and thin no more. (laughs) How many of us are like Randy? we're Christians, and yet there are times in our lives where we try to cut corners in our faith. Well, let me put it this way. As we look back at this past week, how many of us can say that everything I did, everything I said as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a student, everything I did, I did it with God in mind. And I bring this up because what we're going to see in today's text is a man who forgets about God. He gets ahead of God. Abram fails to remember God, and as a result, he gets himself entangled up in a big mess. But we're also going to see that God does not fail to remember Abraham and restores him to his faith. And so here's a gospel truth for us this afternoon. When we fail to remember God, he does not fail to remember us and is faithful to restore us to our faith. Let me repeat that for us. When we fail to remember God, He does not fail to remember us and is faithful to restore us to our faith. And I have three points for us this afternoon. The famine, the forgotten God, the faithful God. The famine, the forgotten God, the faithful God. So let's look at the first point, the famine. Allow me to briefly sum up the portion of today's chapter that we didn't read. God called Abram out of Ur and out of Haran to settle in Canaan. And so Abram, in faith, he responds to this call and migrates. He leaves his home. He really cuts all family ties and sets out for Canaan. And he arrives and settles in Canaan. And we have to keep in mind that this isn't an uninhabited land. He is in the heart of pagan country. And as he's getting uh, adjusted and acclimated, we read that he goes around setting up altars and calls upon the name of the Lord. What a great witness. What a faithful witness. The Lord calls, Abram responds. The Lord promises, Abram believes. The Lord appears and Abram worships. But then we get to verse 10 and we read, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Famine in the land of promise? Wait, hold up. Was it not God who called Abram? to come to this land? Was it not God who had given this land to Abram? How could this be? In a sense, Abram has made it. He's arrived. And so what we'd expect next in the next verse is flourishing, not famine. We'd expect a life enhancing situation, not a life endangering situation. But that's not what we read here in today's text. Now, this famine wouldn't make sense if Abram had been disobedient, but Abram up to this point has been obedient and is walking in God's ways. And to this man, God sends a famine. Not too long ago, my family encountered a situation where we had to leave our home. Uh, we used to live in this town called Maplewood in New Jersey, but the area that we used to live in was actually referred to as Maplehood, if you get to my drift, Um <laughs> But something came up, and we had to relocate. Nothing life-threatening. I don't want to give off that impression. But long story short, we had to migrate down to Egypt. And by Egypt, I mean my Um, (laughs) in-laws. And just so there isn't any misunderstanding, I love my in-laws. I enjoy staying at my in-laws. And my in-laws are very Egypt-like in the sense that they always have an abundance of food. And as a matter of fact, every time we share a meal, we feast like kings. We feast like royalty. I'm talking about lobster, sushi, king crab like steak for breakfast, right? Now, before I feast, I have this ritual. I'm not talking about prayer. Um, this ritual is I take out my phone and I snap a picture of what I'm about to eat. If you're in youth group or in college group, you probably understand what I'm talking about. You now, just last night, I was on Pastor Andrew's Instagram account, Do you know that he has 249 pictures on his account? Did you also know that 246 pictures of the 249 is food pictures? (laughs) Now, we can relate to this. I do this all the time. And one of the people I often snap, besides Pastor Andrew, is my buddy from church. His name is James. And whenever I snap a picture, his response is always the same. Bro, truly, truly. The Lord has shown favor. (laughs) But I wonder, what if one day I'm at my in-laws and I snap a picture of vegetables? Would he respond the same way? Of course not. What would his response be? Is everything okay? (laughs) Did you sin? We can all relate to this. Wouldn't you agree that we often correlate blessings from God, but not famines or sufferings or trials or tribulations? We tend to think it's those times that God is not with us. It's in those times when we question, Did I do something wrong? Or maybe we start questioning God's presence. Lord, do you see what's going on in my life? Where are you? How long, oh Lord? What is the meaning of all this? But today's text forces us to think about trials in a completely different way. Because you see, the cause of this famine was not Abram's sin, nor was it God removing his presence. The famine happened before Abram went down to Egypt. The famine didn't happen because he left the promised land. No, the famine happened and then he went down to Egypt. But before the famine, Abram had been been moving from altar to altar, worshiping God. Abram, up to this point, has been showing tremendous faith, tremendous courage, tremendous commitment to the Lord. And so this famine can't be because Abram was disobedient. This wasn't punishment. This can't be because God was mad or disappointed with Abram. And if this is true, then this text shows us that Christians, even the best Christians aren't exempt from trials and tribulations. If anything, this text serves to show that Christians should expect suffering, expect trials, expect testing. But what purpose does it serve? I want you to imagine, uh, I want you to imagine that you have a Saturday to, to spend time with your kids. You know, say you take your son to the park and you're playing catch, you're riding bikes, uh, quality father-son time. And then afterward, you take him to McDonald's and you buy him a Happy Meal. You just have a wonderful day. And on your way home, you look in the rearview mirror and he's looking back at you. And your son, your little boy says, Dad, yeah, son, I think you're the best dad in the whole world. And it melts your heart. And instead of going home, you turn around and you go to Chuck E. Cheese where you spend two more hours with your son trying to spoil him, trying to love him. Now, as you head home, After this wonderful day, you pull out a sheet of paper and from your back pocket, and you hand it to your your little boy. And he opens it up and he reads it, and he's confused because on the sheet of paper is a list with the following: no video games during the week, no TV during the week, no computer unless it's for school, no staying up past nine. You will make your bed every day. You will take out the trash. You will mow the lawn. Dad, I'm confused. Did I do something wrong? And so you respond, son, you're not going to understand this now, but one day you'll understand what I'm doing. You're going to get it. I'm teaching you responsibilities. I'm teaching you discipline. I'm teaching you how not to be lazy. What is his father doing? He's raising his son. He's teaching his son life lessons. He's preparing him for the real world. The boy will not understand everything now, but ultimately it's for his good. But suddenly the boy is filled with anger. Disappointment, bitterness, resentment, and he has completely forgotten about the wonderful day he just had with his father. Now, in the same way, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know this to be true. How rich and full and wonderful was it when you first accepted Christ? But after some time, we come into a spiritual winter. We find ourselves in the desert, there's famine, famine of joy. A Famine of peace, a famine of purpose, and these famine will, will do either one of two things: We, like the little boy, will end up angry, frustrated, disappointed and extremely bitter, because we often think that these inconveniences, sufferings, trials are incompatible with God's love. or it will sober us up and test our foundation. Do I trust God? even when I don't understand my circumstances. Church, maybe it's been a while since you faced the trial, and praise God for that. But also praise God when the trials come, for this is the very means God uses to mold us into the image of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Someone has put it this way. The Christian life is often not a fortress, but a furnace, not a vacation, but a vocation, not a rest, but a wrestling. Can you identify with that? When these trials come, can we say with Job, you give and take away, but blessed be your name. Can we say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. You see, this famine was meant for Abram to lean not on his own understandings, This famine wasn't primarily meant to drive Abram down to Egypt, but to drive him to his knees. This famine wasn't primarily so Abram can focus not on the feeding of his stomach, but the feeding of his soul. This famine was not meant for death, but for dependence, not tragedy, but trusting. If you're a believer, you have to own up to this. In this world, you will have tribulations. This is a message for the believer. No, there will be times when you're following him, you're wrestling for his blessing, and you might very well end up with a famine. But do you realize that God gives us this famine into our hearts to drive us back again and again in total like child dependency on him. He's making us dependent on himself with times of trials, with famines. God sends us famines so that we can learn to feed off God and God alone. John Piper writes, one of the primary purposes of being shaken by suffering is to make our faith more unshakable. He goes on to, he goes on to say, his aim is that we grow deeper and stronger in our confidence that he himself will be all we need. If this is true, Our times of famines, they don't come by chance. And that's what God repeatedly does with Abram. This is what he does with the elect. Church, do the famines of your lives drive you to the Lord? Do you depend on the Lord when the famines come? Does it drive you to your knees? Unfortunately, this famine did not drive Abram to the Lord, which leads us to our second point, the forgotten God. When we think about, when we think of Abram or Abraham, we tend to highlight his faith. He left Ur. He was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. We admire him. We respect him. But here we come across a story of how he almost messed things up. Our text says in verse 10, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. He left the promised land. He left Bethel. He left the house of God. Why? He needed to find a way to feed his family, to feed his livestock. So he did the most logical thing, the most sensible thing. And we see that this move was only the beginning of his problem. Because we see in the very next verse, the heart of his problem. We read verse 11 and following. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, it's obvious what's taking place, isn't it? Abram knows that his wife is beautiful. She's gorgeous. He's about to enter into a pagan nation. They don't fear God. They don't worship God. They don't know God. It's a doggy dog world. And Abram isn't dumb. They're going to take a notice of his wife, take her, and then kill him. Unless we give them a reason not to kill me. If, Sarai, you tell them that I am your brother, then perhaps they will treat me with favor. Sarai, you will be my get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, I'm sure Abram, in the back of his mind, had, had it all mapped out. We'll go into Egypt. We'll buy ourselves some time. We'll stall for time to exploit suitors, but we're not actually going to give you away, Sarah. We'll get what we need, and then we'll leave when the famine is over. We'll dine and dash. Abram had all his extra strategies in place. Now, we could make the argument that Abram was being shrewd here. Perhaps this wasn't a sign of faithlessness, but perhaps he was trying to help God. After all, God's glory is at stake here. Because if something were to happen to Abram, that's the end of the covenant. That's the end of the promise. God's promise dies with Abram. So maybe in the back of his mind, Abram felt like he had to do something. I'm gonna help you, God. God, I got you. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to survive. Better defiled than dead, right, Lord? Sin now and then ask forgiveness for later, later, for the glory of God. That's what Abram's doing. But there's a problem with Abram's plan. because you see, we read in verses 14 and 15. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Uh-oh. So much for stalling time. The Egyptians look at Sarai, and they like what they see. The princes of Egypt praise her. They rave about her, and they take her straight into pharaoh's harem and just like that abram's plan becomes undone He's suddenly tangled up in his own plan and they take her to abram's dismay he must be feeling sick to his stomach they took his wife but wait at least they didn't kill him As a matter of fact, we read in verse 16, and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, so on and so forth. Abram becomes rich. He becomes filthy rich. Now, when we read verse 16, it doesn't really make sense to us. It doesn't have a wow factor. Wow, big deal. He acquired some animals. No, 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 no. He acquired so much more. He now has servants, male servants female servants at his beckoning call but he also had female donkeys and camels which as one commentator pointed out this was the transportation of choice the female um the female donkeys were equivalent to today's bmws <laughs> pharaoh was giving abram not just one bmw but all the series you could have it all and camels man those are rare. Those are like your Rolls Royce, your Lamborghinis, your Ferraris. Essentially, he traded his wife for some really nice cars. Now, maybe there's some husbands in here thinking, man, that is a deal of a lifetime. Pharaoh got played. Pharaoh got suckered. Everyone got the deal of his life. But all kidding aside, he went from famine to fortune but at what cost? It cost him his wife. In essence, he was saying, you have my permission to prostitute yourself in order to save my life. Your life for mine, your safety for my safety, your purity for my protection. And I'll take you back and we'll go back to Canaan and everything will be well. That was his plan. Abram should have protected his wife, but he uses her And as a husband, you can't go any lower than this. You can't sink any lower than this. It's clear. Abram wasn't trying to help God. He was helping himself. Abram wasn't concerned with God's glory. He was concerned about his own life. We're talking about Abraham. He's celebrated as the father of many nations. Our children, they sing songs about him father abraham had many sons and many sons had father abraham i am one of them so are you so let's just praise the lord right arm left arm we sang this song growing up this song could have easily have been faithless abraham had many slaves and many slaves had faithless abraham all because he prostituted his wife right arm left that could have been the song but church this is a sad picture abram is in a horrible place And from a human perspective, this man that God has chosen nearly shipwrecks his calling. But I don't think it's because Abram lacked faith. This isn't a matter of trust. Abram did trust God. He left his home. He left his kindred. He left everything. This has nothing to do with denying God or abandoning God. No, he doesn't go back to Ur. He doesn't call it quits. He doesn't say, God, I tried following you. You know, I tried it for some time. Now it was a mistake. He doesn't do that. He doesn't renounce his faith. But herein lies the problem. It all started with the famine. And this famine, understandably, had created the fear of starvation. And Abram then instinctively moves down to Egypt, not in rebellion, not in defiance, not in a lack of faith, but he moves, he makes this move down to Egypt there is no mention of God. It almost seems as though the author is telling us that Abram didn't seek God's will. Abram moved practically, but not spiritually. Not that those two things are always mutually exclusive. Abram reacted instinctively, not prayerfully. I read a quote by Kevin DeYoung not too long ago where he wrote, sin is always an act of spiritual amnesia to repeat that sin is always an act of spiritual amnesia. This couldn't be any truer in Abram's current circumstance. He did not deny God. He simply forgot him. He forgot who God was and how great God was, how great God is. He marginalized God. He put God on the sidelines. He doesn't ask uh, direction from the Lord. And his problem really is our problem, isn't it? Don't we often do this? How many of us can say that God is at the center of all the decisions that we make? Don't we move to Egypt because of finances? Don't we move to Egypt because there's better schooling for our children? Don't we move to Egypt to secure ourselves a better future? But here's a question I really want to ask. How many of us, with the intention of sojourning in Egypt, end up staying in Egypt. How many of us have declared Egypt a, our permanent residence? When was the last time you went to God and you asked him, Lord, where do you want me to live? Lord, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to be a blessing? Such a simple question. When was the last time you woke up and said, Lord, how can I honor you today? But if we're honest with ourselves, our decisions are navigated and guided by practical, natural, logical steps. Again, not because we don't trust God. Not because we don't worship God. Not because we're trying to disobey God. But often it's simply because we forget about God. Now I'm not saying don't take care of your finances. I'm not saying don't try to secure yourself a better future. These are good things. These are great things. I commend you for doing these things. You know, I'm sure when you make these moves, you have every good intention. But look what happened to Abram. He was looking for a way to provide for his family. Good intentions that resulted in him having everything but the favor of God and his wife. Abram, the man in the land of promise, became the man in the land of compromise. And the whole thing turns into a tragic nightmare. What grief must come into his heart? Here's Abram now in the company of servants, sheep, goats, donkeys, camels. He looks around, and the evidence is everything that all of this he has because of Sarai, just as he wished. But while he had everything, there must have been an emptiness in Abram's heart as he wondered what happened to his wife, wondering if he'll ever see his wife again. Wondering if she'll ever be his wife again. How in the world does Abram get disentangled? This leads us to our third and final point, God's faithfulness. There was no way Abram could have gotten out of this mess on his own. What was he going to do? Was he now going to go tell Pharaoh the truth? Pharaoh, um, you know, I told you that she was my sister. Technically, I wasn't lying. She's my half-sister, but really, she's my wife. He couldn't do that now. That's an immediate death sentence. But fortunately for Abram, and really for us, the story doesn't end in verse 16. This is what we read in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Did you catch that? But the Lord. I've titled this sermon, But the Lord, because this is really what it's all about. This is who it's all about. This is the climax. The Lord intervenes. The Lord comes into the picture. Abram had forgotten the Lord, but the Lord forgot him not. Abram had sojourned in Egypt, but the Lord will save him from Egypt Abram had overlooked his God, but the Lord did not overlook his servant. What a wonderful picture of God being mighty to save. But it's so much more than God rescuing Abram. This is not just the redemption of Abram. This is God preserving his covenant for all his elect. It's about your preservation. It's about my preservation. Because it's not despite Abram, but through Abram, that God's long, historical, redemptive promise salvation will come to pass. So the question is, how does God intervene? Again, we read verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house house with great plagues. Pharaoh is afflicted to the point where he knows something's up. We're not sure how he finds out, but regardless, he finds out the truth. And we read in the following verse, verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. What an embarrassment. Abram, just a few verses ago, he was setting up altar to altar to altar, worshiping God, calling upon the name of the Lord. But here in Egypt, he did not call upon the name of the Lord, not once. What a terrible witness. And it's a pagan who calls him out. It's a pagan who rebukes him. He's reprimanded by an unbeliever. How embarrassing. And so he sheepishly leaves Egypt with his tail between his legs. He doesn't utter one word. He doesn't say one thing. This whole trip is a colossal failure from Abram's side. And yet, from God's side, it's a testimony to his faithfulness. Notice how Pharaoh doesn't ask Abram to return the gifts. Rather, he commands his men to escort Abram and his wife along with all of this possession. Just when things looked hopeless for Abram, God intervenes and takes care of everything. This story ends on a good note, but the story is not entirely resolved. Because you see, we're left with this question. How, why was God faithful to Abram when he was unfaithful to God? Didn't Abram deserve to be afflicted? How can God be faithful to us when we're unfaithful? Don't we deserve to be plagued? Don't we deserve to be afflicted? The answer is yes. We absolutely and fully deserve it. But in a strange turn of events, he plagues Pharaoh. And I just want to make one thing clear. Pharaoh, too, deserves to be plagued from God. It's not like Pharaoh was innocent and he didn't deserve this. No, it's not like God put Abram's sins on Pharaoh. No, not not at all. Pharaoh wasn't the substitute for, for Abram. Both Pharaoh and Abram deserve to be plagued. And so there's still this tension. How does God resolve this conflict? Here's how. God, one day, will send another prophet. And this prophet doesn't sojourn down to Egypt. But he comes from heaven to earth. And he comes because he sees his bride enslaved, entangled in the depths of their sins. He sees his church in bondage, in captivity. And though God would have been perfectly just to leave us in captivity because of his great love for us, because God is jealous for his people, he sends his son. And as Abram was given an offer for his wife, so too Christ was given an offer. You can have the glory. You can have all the riches without going to the cross. But Christ knew that the only way he could ransom his church, his people, was by going through the cross. And the only reason God bypassed Abram, the only reason God bypasses our sins, is because he did not bypass his own son. God the Father plagued his son for the curse and punishment of your sins so that you can be free. Christ took the plague. He said, my life for yours, my safety for yours. He bore it all. We're free to find our hope again and again in our Savior. And we are not only set free from sin, but we share in all of Christ's inheritance. Everything that Christ has done, Christ has earned, is ours. What amazing love. What incomprehensible love. Have you ever tasted that love? Or have you forgotten? Have you been in Egypt way too long? Have you lost touch with God? Christ has earned the right through his suffering, through his substitution, to bring you back. Will you trust his faithfulness? Will you treasure his faithfulness? Cornerstone, may God's grace only draw you into a deeper devotion to our faithful father. And the next time you start having doubts, or the next time you give in to that temptation and you sin, remember But the Lord, he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your commitment to your people. That though we deserve to be afflicted, to be plagued, God, because of your great love for us, you send your son, you sent your son to take our place. God, forgive us for thinking that we could do this on our own, that everything we have is because of what we've earned, what we've done, the right choices that we've made. God, no, it's all because of your grace. And I pray that there will never be a waking moment where we don't recognize don't adore don't confess that your hand is upon every step of our lives that you can't uncommit you are committed because of the work of your son and so we thank you and i pray that your people that we would respond in faith we would respond in love we would respond in obedience not forgetting you, but falling to our knees on a daily basis, Lord. We need the gospel not just on Sundays, but every waking morning. I pray that the first thought that floods into our minds as we wake is thank you for our union with Christ. Thank you, Lord. Help us to love you back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.